0: No doubt you've heard that phrase, what goes around, comes around. Somewhere along the way, you, you heard someone say it. Perhaps you even said it yourself. Usually it's in a form of, or it's in those moments where we're judging, you know, someone getting what they deserve. And we say, what goes around, comes around. And there's all kinds of different ways to say the same thing. We've all said them things like this. You've seen it where we say, you'll get what you've got coming to you. You ever said that to somebody? Parents? You ever? <laughs> Maybe this one. This sounds more like a parent, right? Actions have consequences. Parents? It's going to be a long one. is going to be a long ride. It's going to be a long ride. No, we've all said these kinds of things. We've heard these sentiments. We've heard these statements. There's all sorts of variations to the sentiment, and they all stem from a principle given to us by a first-century hero of the faith named Paul. When writing to a church like ours, a community like ours in a place called Galatia, Paul wrote what goes around comes around and he wrote it this way. Here's what he said. Don't be deceived, don't be fooled. God cannot be mocked. And and the translation that we use, we get the word mock from, the translation is turning your nose up against or scornful disdain. And what Paul is basically saying, listen, even if you don't think God's opinion on something is worth consideration or worthy of respect, don't be fooled. Okay, don't be deceived. You can't look past, you're wrong. You can't look past, you can't disregard, you can't discount what God has said. And Paul would continue to write what goes around comes around this way. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows, that you and I, that we will all reap what we sow. And like all principles, the principle of sowing and reaping, it can either work for you or against you, right? Uh, You you know, uh, felonies result in prison sentences, academic diligence results in good grades, and you know what I'm talking about. We've all seen this play out in the lives of other people, haven't we? That, That you look at the people in your lives, maybe even people within your family, people that you care deeply about, and you're seeing them in a season of life where they are reaping what they've sown. We see this, whether for the good, the bad, the positive, or the negative, we see the principle of sowing and reaping play out all the time in the lives of other people. But see, here's the thing we miss and here's the reason why this series is so important and why we're gonna talk about this for the next few weeks. You are on both sides of this principle in most of, if not all aspects and arenas of your life and to varying degrees. That right now you might be in a season of your life where you are reaping what you maybe unknowingly had sowed into. You had no idea in the moment, but now you're in the season where you're, you're reaping maybe you're weeping because of these things, having no idea that they're actually the result of this principle. You are reaping what you knowingly or unknowingly sowed into. And you know this is true in so many different ways, whether it's the ways in which you wisely or poorly you know, prepared or studied at school, right? That's having implications in your life today. For those of you that are students, how well or how little um, time you spend studying is gonna impact you. You're gonna reap what you sow, For those of us that are parents, the time that whether we're good at it or not so good at it, the time that we spend with our kids, we will reap what we sow. This is true in how well or how poorly you honor, love, and serve your spouse. This is true whether you know how wise or how foolishly you have or are currently spending your money. This is true in terms of you know how you know uh, proactive or how lackadaisical we are about our health, whether it's our physical health or mental health, emotional, our spiritual health. Paul would say, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled, don't be naive. What goes around, eventually comes around. Eventually, not always, immediately. You will reap what you sow. And this this idea, this principle of sowing and reaping, it's foundational to the human experience. We've all experienced it. We've all seen others' experiences. This. this is taught and illustrated in both the Old and the New Testaments. And we can only assume that God established this principle of sowing and reaping at the same time he established the principles, the law of gravity and other laws of physics. And the point of any principle is to make certain components of our lives relatively predictable. And that's a good thing, right? I don't want to get to retirement and suddenly discover that a penny saved is a penny lost. When you're pulling out RSPs, it kind of feels like that. But the point is, like, I don't want to get there and feel that way. And worse yet, I don't want to find out somewhere along the way that I could have doubled my carb intake, not exercised, and still maintained my suggested weight and waistline, right? Like, I'm living under the assumption or with the impression that the, the, this principle of sowing and reaping directly impacts and implicates the relationship between what I eat and what I weigh. What goes around comes around. You will reap what you sow. And, and while this you know, principle of sowing and reaping, while it's operational in our world today and in your lives today, the truth is there are exceptions to this rule. And I guess, and I bet you already knew that, right? Like me, you've known some people who were hardworking, responsible people who did everything right financially, and yet they found themselves in, in difficult circumstances financially because of circumstances that were outside of their control, Right? You've known people who took great care of themselves physically whose bodies eventually were overcome by disease. You've known, I bet, some dishonest people who have prospered, right? And the amazing thing is that the Bible tells us and teaches us why there is this seemingly unjust and unfair exception to the rule. The Bible teaches us, the Bible shows us that sin, when sin entered the world, it distorted and perverted God's perfect design. It wreaked havoc on and with everything, everything in creation, not just humanity, but everything in creation. It brought decay into our world, to the earth. It brought disease and famine and death. That it brought unfairness and injustice and selfishness. This is a result of sin. So while the, the, the principle of sowing and reaping, while it's operational in our world today, there are exceptions due to the nature, the presence, the reality of sin in our world and in our lives, but... And there is also another exception to this rule. And perhaps no story in the Bible best illustrates this expression or this exception to the rule better than the tale of two brothers. Two brothers, Joseph and Judah. Joseph, a commonly or uncommonly good man who who I guess finds himself suffering unspeakable injustice and on the other side, Judah, a callous, wily hypocrite, he enjoys undeserved prosperity and popularity and as it turns out, God had a plan for both of them. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Remember that song, Father Abraham had many sons? Well, one of his grandsons was Jacob, and Jacob fathered 12 sons of his own with four different women, and these are the days of our lives, right? 12 sons with four different women, and he made, he wasn't shy or he wasn't ashamed about showing, unfortunately for him, that Rachel was his favorite wife and that he loved her two sons, Joseph and Benjamin, more than the other 10 sons combined. He he shamelessly doted on Joseph. He spared him from the most difficult chores. He showered him with special gifts, including a spectacular multicolored tunic. It was this beautiful coat of many colors and it served as a daily vivid reminder that the other 10 boys would never be able to earn the love that Joseph received so freely. Now, years that would follow, Joseph would prove to be a supremely good man, but he was not perfect. In fact, he did little to help himself or do himself any favor in the way that he treated his other brothers. Now, this family, they raised sheep and goats as part of their farming existence. And in those days, the shepherds, they would lead their flocks to the greenest pastures they could find, even if that journey took them many days away from home. Now around the age of 17, Joseph, I said he didn't do himself any favors. At the age of 17, Joseph kind of made himself or declared himself or instituted himself as his father's eyes and ears informing on his older brothers when they didn't manage the flocks well. Now, somewhere around this time, Joseph and his brothers, one evening, they were sitting around a campfire. There were probably some sheep bang in the back and he was sitting at the fire, stirring the coals of the fire with a stick. And then casually, Joseph says to his brothers, hey guys, I had an interesting dream last night. And they're like, oh yeah? What about one of them replied? Well, it was about all of you listen to my dream we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain and suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine that's interesting huh strange huh now the brothers didn't miss the significance of this dream they replied here's what they said so you think you will be our king do you do you actually think that you will reign over us Now this created in this moment a lot of tension and a lot of resentment. And the more Joseph talked about his dreams to his brothers, the more and eventually their resentment turned into hate. They actually, listen to this, they actually hated him all the more. They hated him already. They hated him already because he was loved differently than they were. They hated him already, but now they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. That's actually the Greek word for about. They... (laughs) Now you're with me, all right? But so they hated him. They hated him. They couldn't talk about their brother without cursing. They couldn't talk to their brother without cursing. And Joseph somehow was oblivious to the way that his brothers felt about him, and he continued to talk about these dreams. And he said to them another time, he's like, "Hey guys, I had another interesting dream. Listen to this one. In this one, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. What do you think about that one?" And this dream, he didn't just tell his brothers, this dream he told his father. He tells his father, and listen, the time he uh, told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. His father scolded him for this dream. Listen to what he says. What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? And Joseph had, Joseph offered no answers. And while the brothers, it says, while the brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered or pondered about, wondered what these dreams had meant. So the brothers, they're kind of gnashing their teeth. They're kind of resisting the urge to tear their brother to pieces. And Jacob, the father, is kind of thinking about these dreams. He tucks them away and he thinks about them. He ponders them. He wonders what they can mean. Because Jacob, Jacob is no stranger to dreams that he himself in his life had had many visions that made no sense in the moment, but dreams and visions that eventually came true. So Jacob is thinking about these dreams. He's wondering, he's pondering what they could mean while the brothers, their jealousy turns into hate. And hatred hatred is rarely a passive thing, right? Hatred in a sense is essentially, it's murder waiting to happen, isn't it? Like, it's only the fear of getting caught that keeps hate-filled people from bringing a despised person to a sudden end. So, months later, months after this, when Jacob sends his beloved son out to take stock or follow up or look after his brothers, Joseph finds his brothers ready to kill. Ready to kill. They... These 10 brothers, they had taken the family's flock about 60 miles north uh, to a lush valley in present-day Galilee. Now, the baby of the family, Benjamin, he was he also favored by Jacob. He's too young to leave home. So Joseph uh, travels alone through the rugged wilderness to find his family's flocks. And as he is appeared, or when they can see him over on the horizon, the men sneer, And here's what they said. Here comes the dreamer. And they unanimously agreed that this day was gonna be Joseph's last. They decided they were gonna kill him and they were gonna throw him in a pit. And that way, uh, they, you know, uh, uh, scavengers and animals would basically eat and kill or take away any evidence of his existence. And that way they could say to their father, I don't know what happened. Some sort of wild animal must've killed, killed Joseph because after all, a half truth isn't a complete lie, right? No. So... That's what they're thinking, but thankfully for Joseph, Reuben, the oldest brother, he basically talks the other brothers out of killing Joseph. Here's what he says we're going to go on. Let's not kill him. This is, this is Reuben talking. Let's not kill him. Reuben said, why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. It's was like, guys, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into the pit and let him die on his own. Then we won't have any blood in our hands. Now, Reuben was trying to get them to think logically, but the real reason he was saying this is because Reuben, uh, he was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So basically what he wanted to do is he was, kind of taking the the pressure off and he was like saying hey let's get him out of here and so they reluctantly agree and so here he comes we're going to go on So when Joseph arrived, when when he showed up, when he could be seen, these 10 brothers pounced on the favored brother and they ripped off his beautiful robe he was wearing. And then they grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern. They threw him into this dry cistern, this this deep hole that was carved into stone that collected rainwater. They threw him in this. So then, then after, you know, or while Joseph's cries for help are echoing from a nearby hole in the ground, then uh, just as they were sitting down to eat as they're having a meal, debating what to do next, Then they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. Then they saw a caravan of traders rolling over the valley. Their camels loaded with merchandise that they're gonna sell in Egypt. And that's when Judah emerges as the leader amongst his brothers. And unlike Reuben who wanted to secretly rescue Joseph and take him back home, Judah saw an opportunity Judah saw an opportunity to compound their sin and make a little cash at the same time. The caravan gave Judah an idea, and here's what he says. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? I mean, we'd have to cover up the crime. So instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh And blood. Like, guys, I've been thinking about it. We shouldn't kill him. I mean, after all, after all, he is our brother. He is our flesh and blood. We shouldn't kill him. No, because then we just have a mess on our hands. We'd have blood on our hands and we'd have this huge mess and we're not going to gain or get anything out of it. But, but if we sell him, if we sell him, he'll be out of our lives and we'll pocket some silver in the process. This is a win win. This is the perfect solution with a thin layer. With a thin layer of dishonesty, this thin veneer of mercy, he covers up this secret greed that he had. He became, and he would in years to come, he would perfect this skill and become a master of disguise. Master of disguise. I want you to... Just hang on to that, master of disguise. So what they do, the 10 brothers, they go and they pull Joseph out of the pit. They hand him over to the slave traders. They split the silver 10 ways and they watch as the caravan disappears over the Southern horizon, never expecting to see their dreaming brother again. And there it is, there it goes. The principle of sowing and reaping gone awry. The good kid gets thrown in a pit and sold into slavery and the evil brothers profit from it. But if you know the story, you know it continues and you know, you know, you know that it gets so much worse. The only question for the brothers, the only question remaining is what to tell dear old dad, right? So with a few convincing rips and a little splash of goat blood on on the tunic, uh, they're able to kind of, it's the only alibi they need. And so they take Jake or Joseph's coat of many colors and, and they come to him and they say, dad, I don't know what happened. Some, some wild animal must have got a hold of, of Joseph somewhere between home and the encampment. We couldn't even find his body. All we could find is the, what's left of his robe. This is his, right? With this well-rehearsed story, Judah and his brothers broke their father's heart. And Joseph, is hol- Joseph, or sorry, Jacob is holding Joseph's robe, his tattered, bloody robe in his hands, and then Jacob tore his own clothes and he dressed himself in burlap, and he mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. His family, all his family, even Judah and his brothers, knowing what they had done and what had actually happened, his family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And perhaps it was in these moments that Judah and his brothers realized that their treachery was never gonna be completely behind them because their father's grief was always gonna serve as a constant reminder. For years to come, Judah and his brothers would have to keep their secret. Long after the money was gone, long after the money was spent, the memory would remain. And who knows, perhaps Judah felt... I don't know, perhaps he felt guilty or perhaps he regretted his role as the mastermind of the conspiracy. And if that's true, we don't know because there's no evidence that he did. J- Jacob's you know, pain and his grief, his intense grief in this moment eventually gives way to an ever-present melancholy. And the whole time, the whole time, Judah... Judah has this disguise, this disguise, this innocent act that he's putting on. He's kind of feigning concern when he goes in to see his dad and tries to comfort him, but that's not really true. And in the years to come, Judah would perfect this skill, perfect this ability of hiding his true private self behind a public honorable facade. And there it is in Genesis chapter 37. There it is. The wicked prosper. The wicked prosper and the innocent, or the seemingly innocent, suffer. But that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story because it never is, is it? It's not the end of the story for Joseph. It's not the end of the story for Judah. It's not even the end of the story. For Jacob, because it never is. And we're going to continue to look at this story throughout this series and see what it has to say to you and what it has to say to me. But for now, in the meantime, here's the thing. And if you've never heard any of this story, I wouldn't have expected you to catch this. And even if you do know this story and you've already jumped to the end, I'm not even sure you've actually put two and two together. But in Genesis chapter 37, what goes around comes around. In Genesis chapter 37, what goes around comes around. In Genesis chapter 37, Jacob is reaping what he has sown. And the reason I say that is because 10 chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 27, Genesis chapter 27 records that when Isaac, the son of Abraham, father Abraham, and many sons, one of them was Isaac, and Isaac, when he got to be an old man in Genesis chapter 27, as an old man, a blinding man, he realizes that it's time to pass on his blessing to his oldest son, Esau. But when Rebekah, his wife, hears about this, she freaks about this because she wants the blessing to go to her favored son, Jacob, Jacob, this same Jacob. She wants him to receive the blessing. So she initiates her own plan of deception. While Esau is out hunting game for his father, Rebecca goes to Jacob and she says, hey, I want you to go out and get two goats and I want you to bring them back so that I can prepare the meal that your father is expecting. And then she adds other layers to the deception. She says, listen, so your dad doesn't think, you know, you're you're you and that you're not Esau. What I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna clothe you in Esau's best clothing so that you're gonna smell like him and here, and she takes the skins of these goats and she covers his hands the back of his neck with this goat hair so that he'll seem hairy to the touch like his brother Esau and with this disguise he goes into his father's room deceives his father and receives his blessing but it wasn't easy Isaac even though he's old and blind his other senses are heightened and he hears Jacob's voice and he thinks that it's Jacob before him and he's a little confused and so he continually asks and questions who's before him but because of this disguise he lets his doubts become overshadowed by the touch of his hands because they're hairy like his son Esau's and because he smells like his son Esau because of the clothes that he's wearing in disguise with this disguise Jacob deceives his own father and receives his blessing. After Isaac blesses Jacob, Esau returns home and discovers what had happened and as you can imagine he is furious. He is so angry that he decides and he intends I'm going to kill my brother after our father is dead. Well Rebecca hears about this and she passes this on to Jacob and she says you need to get out of here you need to flee and you need to stay away until your brother's wrath dies down and then when it does I will call for you I will send for you and you can return but that day never comes she never sends for him 20 years pass, and we understand that she, at some point in that time, she passes away because by the time he comes back 20 years later, she's not there to greet him. In fact, like all the other principal wives of the patriarchs, she has no death notice. She's seemingly written out of the story. She dies in silence without her favored son, Jacob, by her side. Genesis chapter 27 what goes around came around. She reaped what she sowed. And Jacob, Jacob is impacted as well because in those 20 years while he was away, Jacob, he went and lived and worked for his uncle, Laban. You following all these names? I feel like I need a family tree up here. So Laban, Laban has two daughters, Rachel and Leah. Now, Rachel, the Bible says, was beautiful. And Leah the Bible says, was the exact opposite. Whatever that means. So Jacob sees Rachel and he says, I wanna marry that girl. And so he works out this deal with Laban that he is gonna work for him for seven years so that he can take Rachel as his wife. Totally different way of operating back then, right? So that's what they did and that's the agreement they made. But then, then, then Laban pulls the same kind of switcheroo deal that Jacob had just pulled on his father. See on their wedding night, (laughs) you should read your Bible. On their wedding night, Laban, Substitutes Rachel, the bride that he expected and worked for, he substitutes her for Leah, and Jacob didn't figure it out until the next morning. You should read your Bible, okay? How that happened, I don't know, but that's what happened. The deceiver was deceived. What goes around. Came around, and Jacob would have to work another seven years to get the wife that he wanted. And that wasn't the only time he was deceived. Ten chapters later, years later, many years after he pulled the wool over his blinding father's eyes, Jacob mourns the loss of his beloved son, having no clue that he is a father who has just been deceived by his son in the same way that he as a son deceived his father. What goes around comes around. Jacob reaped what he sowed. It shouldn't, no son who deceives his father should be angry when he is then deceived by his uncle or by his own son, right? But he was. And so would you, right? And see, here's where this lands for you. And here's where this lands for me. When what goes around comes around in the lives of other people, it makes sense, right? When what goes around comes around in the lives of other people, it makes sense. We can point to that, Well, what goes around comes around. Actions have consequences. But when what goes around comes around in our lives, it doesn't make sense, does it? It isn't right. It isn't fair, Jacob, he was angry when he was deceived. He was a deceiver, and he was then angry when his uncle deceived him, and he mourned when his sons deceived him. And maybe you can relate today. Maybe, maybe you are in a season where you are reaping what you even maybe unknowingly sowed into. But you're now in a season of reaping, and you're weeping, you're mourning. Maybe you're angry, maybe you're bitter, maybe you're resentful, maybe you're jealous, maybe you're envious, maybe you're stressed, maybe you're lonely, maybe you're lost. And we mourn in these seasons of reaping and we get angry and we blame and we curse God. You don't love me, what are you doing? And God's going, don't be fooled, don't be deceived, don't be naive. You reap what you sow. And if that's you, if that's you, you're not alone and I've got good news for you. The good news, the good news is that there is an exception to the rule of sowing and reaping. There is an exception to what goes around, comes around. And the exception is not just because of the reality that sin and the brokenness that sin brings into the world and into our lives. There is an exception to the rule because of God's grace and because of God's mercy and because of God's love. See, just as you know, sin and the reality of sin sometimes means that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, so the presence of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy creates the possibility that sometimes, 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 good things happen even though we're undeserving because of the goodness of God, because of the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. Sometimes it means that we don't get the good that we deserve, but it also means that there are times in our lives where we do not get or experience the consequences that we do deserve. Move by love, God, in his amazing grace and his amazing mercy. God takes the cruelties of our world the, the horrible injustice and, cru- and cruelties of our world and he turns them into divine opportunities for good people. And, and at the same time, this is who God is. This is who, what he is. This is what he does. He loves us. And because of his love and his mercy, sometimes God even takes the evil intentions of bad people and he leverages even those things to redeem people. And we are gonna see both of these things in the lives of the people in this story over the next couple of weeks and what it all has to say to you in your life. We're gonna continue on in this story. And uh, it's no exaggeration to say the story is just beginning. And you probably know the famous part of this story, but there's a whole lot of story between the two. And we're gonna look at it together and it is no exaggeration to say that it is more scandalous than any Netflix show going. I mean, this story is unbelievable and I can't wait to unpack it with you, but here's the good news. Here's the good news before you go today. The good news, the good news is that God does not cause all things. The good news is the promise of God that he is at work In all things. Even in this season of reaping that is causing you to weep potentially. Even in this season where you are dealing with the the fallout financially of what you had sowed, the foolishness that you had lived your life with financially, and now you're weeping and mourning because financially you are just, you do not know what's going to happen next but you hope there's no unexpected bills coming. Even though your marriage has fallen or is falling apart because you sowed into selfishness or you sowed into a relationship that was not healthy and all your friends and all your family said, don't do it, don't be with him, don't be with her. And you did it anyway. And now you're reaping this fallout of this relationship and you just are, you're just mourning and you're so angry at the, like, and you're reaping what you sowed. Even though you're like, I can't find a job because I have no education, because I didn't do this and I should have done that. Because you're in a season of reaping, even in those things, you can be confident that God is at work because of what he said. The same Paul who gave us the principle of sowing and reaping gave us these words of hope. Here's what he says. And we know, not we hope, we know, which means we are confident of this, that God causes everything, which means in the original wording, everything, to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. May not seem like it right now, those words might seem empty and hollow right now, but these words are the promise of God to you and to me. And Paul would say, listen, this is it. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived, he says. Don't be deceived. Don't be naive. God cannot be mocked. Whether you want to Acknowledge him or not, whether you believe in him, doesn't matter. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And listen to what he goes on to say after this. Those, meaning those of us who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, will harvest death and decay from that sinful nature. So if you're out there sowing into the things that you want and what you think is cool and what you think is right and how you want to be, and I just want to be happy and I deserve you, you sow into that, you will harvest death and decay from that. But those who live, those of us who live to please the Spirit, to honor God with everything we say and do, will harvest everlasting life from that same Spirit. So, he says, let's not get tired of doing what is good, what is right, what is honorable. At just the right time, at just the right time, which we're going to see in this story, and I believe you will see in your lives, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, Paul says, in light of everything I've just said, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever you have an opportunity, we should do good. We should do what's right. We should do what is honorable for everyone. And everyone means everyone, even those who aren't deserving, even those who deserve something else, everyone, especially to those in the family of faith, especially me. Right? So before you go, we're going to unpack this story and discover what it has to say to you and to me as we, maybe you're in a season of reaping, or maybe you're in a season where you need to become more aware of what you're sowing into right now, because you might not even catch it, but you could be sowing into something that you'll want to reap later or something you do not want to reap later. And may this be a cautionary tale for you wherever you find yourself in those places. But between now and then, I wanna pray for you that you would have the courage and the strength, and especially you young people in the room, I want you to look really, those young people at home, especially because every one of us that are older would tell you this, I wanna pray that you would have the courage and the strength to do what is right Even when it's hard. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity you've given me in this moment you've given me to speak to these incredible people here today. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we go our separate ways and as we head out into our lives, as some of us are sowing and some of us are reaping, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us the courage and the strength to do what is right, to do what is honorable to do what is pleasing to you, to those around us. Help us to stay strong. Help us to be courageous and bold. Help us to honor you in everything we say and do so that we can discover how true you are to your word, that you will reveal yourself and you will show us that you are truly at work in all things. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love. And God bless.